Hello, hello again, my friends. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman. Welcome to Pillars. We are back after a little bit of a break. And today I am so excited to share a conversation with a great friend and personal mentor of mine, Mr. Topher Gaylord. Topher is an outdoor industry professional, an outdoor industry icon who has just had an amazing career and who has so many valuable things to share about how we can bring our professional lives more in line with our passions. How can we take the things that we love to do and turn them into a career? Topher has done it so well in his own life, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy his perspective. He is also an ultra running pioneer and advocate for the sport who has just had a huge influence on its growth and trajectory over the last 20 years. Uh, And in his professional career, Topher has helped to lead some of the biggest and most iconic outdoor and performance brands in the business like the North Face, Mountain Hardware, and most recently Under Armour. And as someone who really loves the intersection of business and sport, I have just learned so much about the industry, career progression, leadership, and other important things from Topher's example. And I have long wanted to have him on the show to come share some of his wisdom with you all. And I'm so excited we finally done it. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And one of the other purposes of this podcast was to do some promotion for the fast approaching Western States 100 and especially the new live stream coverage. Uh, that is happening this year for the first time that Topher and I have been working on over the last few months in collaboration with Billy Yang and other members of the Western States 100 board. Um, And I am so happy. I feel so honored and privileged to be able to help anchor that live stream coverage. And uh, we meant to talk a lot about it on today's show, but because we spent so much time on Topher's life and career, we really didn't get around to it uh, in the way that I expected to. So please do listen to the end uh, where I will provide a longer outro and talk more about the coverage that you can expect along with some other super exciting details that haven't been shared publicly until now. We're breaking news today. So again, please do listen to the end. But anyway, on with the show. I have so much respect for this guy. He is a true friend. He's a role model, a mentor. He officiated my wedding and he is just an overall phenomenal human being. Please welcome Mr. Topher Gaylord. Topher Gaylord, how are you, my friend? Welcome to the podcast. Debo, a pleasure to be here with you on this amazing platform you got. Dude, you have been like top of the pyramid for me in terms of like friends and uh, yeah, people in the sport who I've wanted to have on. And uh, I'm so excited that we're, we're finally doing it here in Mammoth Lakes, California, right after on. your your epic run this morning. Right on. Yeah, yeah I was, uh, I, I did a little uh, Tim, Tim neighborhood loop in... Uh, you know, Tim's neighborhood, T- Tim Tolleson, who lives here on the east side, has a hell of a backyard. Yeah. So it's uh, no better place to have a conversation at, but the east side of the Sierras. It's awesome. Yeah. And for those who are listening, Topher was an hour late to our conversation today <laughs> because he was out on so much of a personal mission. And I'm not mad at him for it. But 
Topher, do you remember the first time that you and I met each other? So I, I recall it was in Marin. I think it was, no. oh, it wasn't in Marin. Remember San Diego 100. Oh, San Diego 100. That's right. You won that year, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, that is the first time we met. Incredible. So, so I mean, we're coming up now. That was 10 so that years was 10 ago. 10 years ago, right? Like yeah. next week. Yeah. Because it's like mid-June, I think, every year. Yeah, you're right. And it, I remember it was the first 100 miler that I won. So it was a, kind of a pivotal, memorable moment I in my you career. I remember that day. Yeah, it was the first time that um, <laughs> I met you and Kim the next day. Yeah. And I remember... You know, somebody saying, you know, this is the president of, of Mountain Hardware. And I was like, what a badass, you know, like the dude's still out here crushing hundred milers. And you finished what? Like I was fourth third, or fifth? Fourth, I think I was fourth. Yeah. yeah, I was fourth. I was doing it out with Rod Bean. Yeah. We were puking just behind you, yeah. but uh, puke and go. And it was, uh, what a spectacular course. Yeah. And I remember that day well. Yeah. Uh, and I do remember, but you know, that was the first time we met, huh? Yeah, that was the first time we met. But then of course... We became much more friendly, much more close when Harmony and I moved to Marin County. Do you remember the first run that? Yeah, I do remember the first <laughs> run in Marin County because, you know, for me, having you come to Marin County was just glorious. And, you know, anyone who comes to Marin County, my, my desire is to just enrich them in the experience from day one so they can never leave. And, and so that first day was about you know, taking you out on the ultimate greatest hits run uh, to make sure we anchored you in the Marin community and, um, and you would become a bedrock of that community. Yeah. So it, it was an awesome day. I think I had to peel out. You kept going on with Gary Gellin into the, into the like deep back trails yeah. of Marin, but you got more of the sweet Marin single track and California carpet that day in one, one, you know, complete bite of the apple. It was great. It was amazing. And just to paint the picture a little bit more, this is the advent of the San Francisco running company, Genesis. It was like one of the first group runs in their history. You guys had, had moved back not long before that. Harmony and I moved, I think it was 2013. And then you, Galen Burrell, Gary Gellin, myself, and along with some others who were part of the early SFRC community, head out for the group run. And I told Gary Gellin, I was like, yeah, I, I want to do like three or four hours today, getting ready for Western States that year. <laughs> I didn't get back to my car until like six, six and a half hours later, and it was a done deal. I was like, this is home base. Yeah, that was, I was so fired up. I was, <laughs> we, we were so fired up. You were like anchoring in. <laughs> To Marin, and um, and you were such such a part of. I was thinking about that. You know, I mean, Marin's got a deep history of trail running that goes back a hundred years. You know, with the, with the Dipsy, but that moment in time, like the early two thousand and sort of tens, yeah. um, there was an accelerant yeah. that came into Marin, and and there was just a like a confluence of trail runners. Uh, from around the world, really, that yeah. sort of descended onto Marin and created, you know, an accelerated culture with, you know, the likes of the the Yankos and the Breton Larissa Rivers and and you and you and Harmony and and just a whole and the Varner Burrells and, and Varner and Jorge and, and, yeah. and Maddie Lay, yeah, Galen just, Burrell. It was an amazing time. It's so fun to look back on. But yeah, feels like uh, forever ago, and also just like. 
it was just yesterday. And, um, you know, whenever we go back, we still feel like it's home. And we owe a lot to that community for, I mean, that was such a special moment in my life too, because it was sort of like when my running career kind of took off by getting ingratiated with this new SFRC community and the feeling that was around the Marin running scene at the time was so exciting. Everybody was improving. Everybody's careers were taking off. And yeah, and it was it was really cool because it really was about the community lifting each other up. And I, I think you're right, like people were, you know, people were all focused on progressing their potential professionally, mm -hmm. personally, um, socially. And, and there was just so much good energy. I remember Trop John, Tropical John Mettinger came down to one of our, you know, one of our uh, running parties at our house. And he's like, man, this Marin running community is just awesome. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's been there, but it comes and, and goes in waves. Yeah. And that was a really, really special time. Still is now, yeah. you know, but some of the, that, that core community of that period, that era have sort of moved and shifted to other parts of the country. Now yeah. it's fun to, you know, you roll into to Colorado, you've got the yeah. Burrells and the Rivers, you come up to the Northwest, you guys are there. And, yeah. and, and so we've got people sprinkled sort of throughout the, the US now, and it's fun to go and catch and see yeah. them in other parts of the country. Yeah, it's fun too, because whenever we speak to people like that, like the Rivers and the Burrells and Jamie and Monica in Seattle yeah. too, just recollecting the five years of glory sort of surrounding the <laughs> early years of the SFRC. And of course, yeah, the running community is still very vibrant there. And well, and that Saturday run is still like, if you want to go be a better runner, show up Saturday morning at SFRC in Mill Valley, go next week or the week after, <laughs> buckle up and uh, and hang on because it's you know and it's such a great way to improve your running yeah. and build the and, and build and be a part of the community and today you know now you got Patty O'Leary you got you got Fernando you've got a whole new generation of runners that are that are taking the mantle now and, and but bringing that same energy that same sense of community yeah. to uh to the to the area and it's just it's just awesome yeah well, it's fun to, to reminisce a little bit. And yeah, it's been great to obviously be friends with you and Kim. And it was born out of a very special moment in our lives down in Marin County. And um, you've always just been a great friend and mentor to me and always somebody whose opinion I really value. And the purpose of this podcast is to highlight you and your career and you, Topher, being somebody who isn't super active on social media, who has never really like tried to have a super high profile within the sport, you've had a huge influence on the sport and in the outdoor industry for a long time. And I think, you know, I've always wanted to learn from you about the history of the sport, the future of the sport, the industry side of things. And I think this conversation will be really interesting across all those different categories. Right on. But it just popped into my head and I feel like we have to talk about this because we're in Mammoth Lakes. The first time we came to Mammoth Lakes together, it was right when you were leaving uh, Mountain Hardware at the time and you got a voicemail that will live in infamy among our circle of friends. <laughs> Describe that voicemail and sort of what happened after. Yes, yeah, so I'll take you back to 2015. Uh, it was a great year. I think you guys had had a, a, a monumental uh, Western States. Yeah. And, and after Western States, we come here 4th of July to sort of, you know, cool down and celebrate. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget um, 
or maybe we had a tough Western states. I can't remember that year. They all blend into each other. But we we were we were sitting on a back deck, uh, and I get a call from, and it's a voicemail from Scott Jurek. And he's on the AT trail calling me from the trail. And and I, it's it's incredible because he calls in and he basically says, hey, I'm on the trail. I hate to do this to you, but I need to call in a favor. And I need you and Kim because it, things are tough right now. And um, and I need you for the for the hundred mile wilderness in, in yeah. Maine. And, um, and I got the vo- voicemail and I remember I played it to you guys and, and we, we were sort of like, Hey, what should we do? And it's like, there's, there, there's no other, there's only <laughs> one mission and yeah. that's to go back and, and, and help, you know, Scott realize his vision quest journey, you know, to run the FKT on the AT trail. And it was almost like it, without a a question, the easiest decision. I mean, I just wrapped up my work at, at Mountain Hardware. I had a five-year five year tour of duty there. Yeah. And um, and so the window of opportunity was there. Kim and I literally, after that weekend, went straight home. We started downloading and doing all the research to help support him. And it was, it was unbelievable. We flew back and basically spent the last 200, 250 miles with Scott and Jenny. Chrissy Mail was with us as yeah. well, um, along with uh, several other of, of Scott's closest friends. And we went to work in helping Scott realize his dream of setting the FKT. And it was it was a nail biter. Yeah. It was like a four day nail biter, but he got in just uh, three hours, I think. Uh, he got the FKT by three hours and it was it was an epic. We did, uh, Chrissy and I did graveyard shift yeah. through the nights and he, he, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. What a tough guy. But yeah, the phone call was so... I don't know, memorable because you could hear the desperation in his voice, but he also <laughs> had the wherewithal to give you a hard time for dropping out of Western States. You're, you're like, right. Okay. So that's good before. memory. That's a good memory. And actually, like, hey, Tof, I know you had a tough one at Western States and it yeah. did, you didn't quite get as many miles as you wanted to. I uh, think that was I the line. Come out. I understand you came up a little short at Western States. So why don't you come out and you can get some more miles with me on the AT trail? You know, Scott still ribs me about that. You know, I was talking to him the other day and, and um, you know, unfortunately I changed my phone system because we wanted to get the actual yeah. verbatim on the voicemail because you're right, it was so cerebral. On, one, on the one point, it was so, it was such a desperation call. It was serious. Call. He was like, I need yeah, you guys it, to come exactly. out here. Yeah. And then on the other side, it was just like classic juric, like not let me off the hook for coming up short at States that <laughs> yeah. year. So it was, it was awesome. It was so great. So great. So anyway, let's talk more about you, Tof. So, you know, obviously I want to talk a lot about your career, but I sort of want to set up your story just so people have a good understanding of who you are and how you got to where you are. And I know you grew up the youngest in a, in a large family of 10, the youngest child of, of 10. That's a unique circumstance to grow up in. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was crazy. We, uh, so that's true. I'm the youngest of 10. I was born in, in upstate New York in the Adirondack Mountains. And we used to drive around in a school bus. So, you know, these days people have vans 
we had literally converted a school bus for the family. And, you know, we were a big outdoor family and we would take these enormous trips, sort of summer trips across the country in the school bus. And, you know, they had me set up in a crib in the back of the school bus. And what for me was so great being the youngest of 10 uh, kids is like having 11 mentors, coaches, and people that make you better mm-hmm. all out in front of you, um, helping you. And so, you know, I, I could, and also it softens up your parents big yeah. time. By the time I came, like I had ultimate freedom in my yeah, life. Sure. And, um, and also my parents were really good at being parents. So they knew how to give me freedom, but they also knew how to coach and, and, and teach me. And, you know, even, you know, I remember, as a 13-year-old, I had an incredible summer. You know, I had a, uh, had a brother that was a river guide in Utah, and I spent two weeks on the river with him. I had another brother who was driving commercial um, tour boats in Hawaii, and he lived on his sailboat at the time in Hawaii. And I went and spent three weeks, you know, sailing around the Hawaiian Islands with him. Uh, and another brother, Randy Gaylord, who yep. you know, yep. um, was a, an incredible cyclist in his day. And, you know, I'd go on these tours, these cycling tours, one week cycling tours through the, you know, through the Eastern mountains. And it was just a great learning experience. And it made me really comfortable and at home in the outdoors. Mm. And, um, you know, the drawback was I was always getting hand-me-downs. Yeah. And, um, and the other, I guess, key for me was like, I needed to break out and be my own person yeah. in the family as well. And so you always are thinking about like, what's your, yeah, there must be like a competition angle. for like love oh, and affection Debo, and attention. It, it, and it's fearsome. <laughs> is it? Like it's yeah. a, it's a competitive, it, it's such a So how do you think family. that's sort of like shaped you? I know you were sort of like a late bloomer too, just in how you matured physically. Yeah. And you're the youngest of 10 kids. You're sort of like the run to the litter. I was the run to the how litter. How do you think that's kind of like shaped the trajectory of your life? I think it made me tougher, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Like I was, I was small. I was, and I was a late bloomer. I mean, I, I really didn't, really start sprouting until like 18, mm-hmm. uh, 19, 20, really into college. And so, you know, as a kid growing up in high school, I probably went through that journey. A lot of kids go through which, where, you know, I wanted, you know, I played lacrosse and I was, I played attack in, in lacrosse yeah. and I was fast. I was quick, but I was so small that these big defensemen could just lay me out flat yeah. and I'd be like knocked out. So it became evident like that sport was gonna be just too physically demanding on, on my size, my yeah. physical size. So um, so I always looked for sports where given my, my physical sort of stature that I'd be able to leverage that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up ski racing as a kid. Our family was very involved in the ski industry in Snowbird, Utah. Um, and uh, you know, we were initial investors in Snowbird as a as a as a family, and and um, and so that's always been a central hub. And skiing doesn't necessarily limit itself to to size. And and then I moved to California um, when I was nine. I moved to Berkeley, yeah. and um, and windsurfing was a sport I immediately got into, and it was one that 
I actually benefited from right. being small. And so, so actually in high school, I pursued windsurfing with every fiber of my being mm -hmm. to become the best at that sport I could. And by 16, I was basically a professional wave sailor yeah. um, in, in windsurfing ar around the world in wave sailing competitions. Um, was sponsored by uh, sale manufacturers, clothing manufacturers, and, and uh, uh, brands, and uh, board, and, and wetsuits, and, yeah. and everything. And, and so it was a really, and it was actually where Dean Carnassus and I got to know each yeah. other. Before either of us were ever runners, <laughs> right. we, were, we knew each other as little grommet punks on the beach, <laughs> uh, giving each other a hard time. Yeah, uh, Dean posted a picture of himself and yeah. out windsurfing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, he looked like a, a real like beach honk California boy. And uh, yeah, it's so funny that you guys had that history prior to you both having a huge impact and influence on trail and ultra running, which ultimately became a big part of both of your guys' lives and careers. And I want to talk more about the windsurfing side of things, because I think given the trajectory of your career, uh, it's interesting, you know, because you do have that background of being pro athlete before kind of breaking into the outdoor industry. I don't know. And this is uh, something I'm personally interested in as somebody who's a professional athlete now, but who loves this world. And you've always been very generous with, with advice and, and insights from your career. But before we sort of move into the professional athlete part of your life, I, I'm still kind of curious though about you being the run to the litter, so to speak, and just like seeing where you've ended up professionally. Like, do you identify pieces of your personality that were born from, you know, those early days where you're fighting for? You had to, you had to fight for, literally fight for yeah. the food at the dinner table. Yeah. You know, it's scrappy. Makes you a little if bit you, more resourceful. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was small. So, you know, and going to school in, in Berkeley, I mean, I was a minority. I went to the public school system yeah. in Berkeley. I went to elementary, junior high and mm -hmm. in public high school at, at Berkeley High. And, and you had to learn how to, how to, essentially become friends with the, with the, with the right people mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you're, you're not getting beaten on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, a, I was a small kid. Yeah. And so I think it taught me resiliency as a, as a young kid. And it also taught me um, the need to create collaborative and meaningful partnerships or friendships mm -hmm. at a young age. Like, you know, even that windsurfing crew, was it was a hot, like we were innovators at the time. Yeah. You know, if you, you got to go back and I don't want to date myself, but you go back to the 1980s, that was that was a period where like windsurfing was really, you know, we were pushing the edges of, of what that sport could be, mm -hmm. but basically in Hawaii and California. And but the 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 culture of the 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 relationships we were creating were so important, I think, for me in how I developed professionally. Yeah. Um, you know, it was about, it, about, you know, unrelenting trust in each other, about total camaraderie, but constantly pushing each other to be yeah. better. And, you know, my, my, my siblings did that. My youngest of, of um, school friends did that, like constantly finding those ways 
to, to push each other to be better, not giving each other any slack ever, but always being there for each other. And I really, I was really lucky to be surrounded with amazing people in that regard at a young age. And I think that helped for me. And, and I think, you know, I look back, um, you know, my, my folks, despite we had, you know, 10 kids and, and, um, you know, my folks had a long, happy marriage, but then they split up and I was, you know, in Berkeley with, with my mom and, mm-hmm. and the three youngest. And, um, and it was a really great experience. I mean, we were living scrappy yeah. and I think I've always liked that mentality of staying scrappy and, and staying hungry, but, but also staying very humble in, in your approach, in my approach to life and sport and That's business. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, really well said. And I think uh, a great lesson of yeah, using the perceived disadvantages that maybe we have when we're kids to, and then seeing how it shapes us in the future and how we develop these unique skills and tools to circumvent what had been our disadvantages that ultimately serve us later on in life. I love how you said that. So let's talk a little bit more about your, your professional athletic career. You were a great windsurfer and, you know, ultimately used your experience as a professional windsurfer, I know you studied sports marketing in school. Yep. So sort of square that circle. It seems like at some point you made the determination that this is what I want to do. You know, I kind of want to be a professional athlete and I want to work with brands to leverage these activities in the outdoors to help tell a bigger story or to help bring people outside how did your experience of being an athlete sort of ultimately inform the professional trajectory you took? Yeah, I mean, side? really, really good question. And, you know, I was, I had an amazing college experience. I was, I, I was not a great student in high school. I mean, I was not disciplined. I was unfocused. I was just totally committed to windsurfing. Like, that was, that was what I was into. But then I went, I went to Cal Poly uh, in San Luis Obispo. It's a great school. You know, its mission is learn by doing. I mean, that's, that's, their, mm-hmm. that's their ethos. And that ethos worked so well for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of schools are based on practical theory and, you know, rote memorization, which I'm horrible with. Mm-hmm. Um, but learn by doing is all about applying your lessons to your work into your school. And I found that absolutely unlocked my desire to learn. Mm-hmm. And so college was this, this period of time where I just poured my energy into the learning process, both, you know, and, and studying sports marketing allowed me to apply all of my life passion at the time, windsurfing, and all that, that, that went along with that sport into my practical um, lesson in, in learning process at Cal Poly. And so I could apply the business concepts that I was experiencing in everyday life to the, the work at school. And that just energized me. And, and I really thrived at, at school. I mean, I went from being a mediocre student in, in high school to, you know, graduating with honors at, at Cal Poly. And then, uh, you know, at, at Cal Poly, you know, even in your undergraduate study, you have to do what's called a senior thesis. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very formal uh Program I did it with Hind Sportswear. So Hind was based in San Luis Obispo. It was a, it was a Cal Poly grad, Greg Hind, that started the company. And it, at the time, it was a, you know, it was an athletic-based brand. And I was convinced I wanted to 
basically take my skill set of of knowing sport intimately and, and being passionate about sport and applying it in a business way. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that like, I would always have a competitive advantage against any other job applicant with my authentic knowledge of sport combined with, you know, the way Cal Poly really prepares you for life of work. Like they prepare you to day one go Mm -hmm. and add value to a company. And I think that's one thing I always, you know, I always thought about even, you know, coming out and doing my internship at Hind was like, you know, sitting down with those leaders and talking to them about how I'm going to add value to their company, mm. not how I want to come in to your brand because I love sport yeah. and um, I just want to be doing what I'm passionate about. Because that's not actually what the business of sport is about. It really is about helping unlock and unpack value for the brand. Yeah. And it's really about making sure that you're somehow contributing to the overall goals of the business. And I think, I think I learned that early on. I think being an athlete um, in the sport of windsurfing, which was all small companies fighting for their place, gave me that early understanding of like, hey, you've got to fight for, um, you've got to fight for your roles in companies, but then every company's got to fight for its position mm-hmm. in the market. And, um, and it was a really great experience. I, I ended up working for Hind. I had this internship. They offered me a job at the end of the internship. I turned them down. You know, I was, just wasn't convinced that like, you know, having, you know, my time at Cal Poly, it followed up by working in San Luis Obispo, like I need to go to the big city. Mm-hmm. So I was convinced I wanted to, to, to get into a life of sports marketing and I wanted to live in San Francisco. Oh. And so, you know, I was, I was, on, a, I was on an absolute mission to, to get to the city and, and just get to where, cause I think, you know, you come out of school, you really wanna go where, you know, there's innovative ideas, there's thriving community. And, yeah. and um, that was important to me at that time. In my so life. ultimately you did make it to San Francisco and we'll talk about that in a sec, but I am kind of interested in this learn by doing thing that they practiced at, San Luis Obispo. And I wonder if this is something that you've thought about before we go into your real career history as somebody who studied sports marketing at San Luis Obispo, but it's not like you went and got an MBA at Harvard or whatever, as you've progressed in your career and you've been mentoring and hiring and coaching up the people who are coming to organizations behind you, do you look for sort of similar attributes and people, I mean, beyond the resume, uh, you know, credentials that people might have that might say MBA from Stanford or whatever. Um, how do you sort of think about that given your experience that was somewhat non-traditional, I would say, and that you were a pro athlete and you did study sports marketing with the intent to, to get into the industry? Um, is, there, is there anything there in terms of like, I'm trying to like kind of get at how do people who have a passion for the outdoors, who want to be part of the outdoors long term, but don't necessarily have the education that would nece- that would lead to a you know a C-suite job. Yeah. Um, how do, how would you coach or advise those people to try and get into it? Well, I think I think I mean when I'm when I'm hiring people throughout my career, I've always looked at um, hiring for you know, 
attitude and um, train for aptitude because I think people with the right attitude um, can bring it can can learn mm-hmm. can learn and I, it can, because I think you know learning is a, it's a lifelong experience so you know it, it really so I do look for for attitude you know too often um, you know a lot of people who are, are, are hiring are looking for those aptitude that check the boxes of MBA, what school did you go to, um, you know, what, what, what brands or, or companies did you work with to check those boxes. And I actually believe the people that um, have asymmetrical type of um, career paths actually are better suited to um, adversity mm. and um, and perhaps challenges than those that have just sort of come up through the traditional traditional means. And what I would also say, so that's that's the hiring side for someone who's really passionate about sport. Um, in in I've been fortunate because my whole life I've connected my personal passions with with my profession. Yeah. And I think when you can do those two things, you totally unlock your potential. Yeah. You you unlock your potential, you unlock the potential of those around you. You're faster than your co- competitors because you intuitively you know them. Yeah. You you the, the 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 blind spot you always have to think about is you still have to step back and be a student of the consumer. Mm. You know, I've been in the business of the consumer selling consumer uh, products, consumer uh, to consumers. And so you got to make sure your passion and your authenticity isn't just your point of view. Uh. And so I think that's a, that's a competitive advantage, but you also have to make sure that you don't overdrive it. Don't feel like you know everything. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go in and be a know-it-all. You always have to be humble and you always have to take a learner's mentality. I will say that my advice to people is you don't want to get into the sports business because you love sports. You want to get into the sports business because you want to contribute and you want to you want to unlock the businesses and the brands that you're working on. Yeah. And 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 I think probably the most important lesson I would say to anyone, especially young getting in, is, is really um, be comfortable and embrace the mundane tasks. Because I don't care whether you're an entrepreneur, I don't care whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, every one of those jobs from, from the spectrum in between those has mundane work, yeah. has rote work in your daily life. And you, you gotta be, you've, you've, gotta, you've gotta find meaning in that. And, and that was always something I would do. Like Just I would, nailing I'd, the be grinding, I, I'd be grinding away yeah. in some, you know, crappy room with fluorescent lighting, banging away uh, rote work but I guess I always saw the bigger vision of where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I knew I'm fine to do this rote work uh, to get me to a better place. And I think too often people become either impatient or they believe that that's remedial work that's yeah. below them. them. Yeah. And, um, and so I never, you know, I never had a problem with doing the hard, either physical uh, work or the hard, um, sort of just wrote uh, mundane work yeah. of, of everyday business. And, and 
I had it from my earliest, most junior jobs to my most senior jobs. Yeah. And I think that's just something you've got to always, you know, you've got to find meaning in that. And yeah. you've got to find the bigger purpose of what you're getting after because it helps you through those times. Yeah, it's uh, great advice. Again, I love the attitude creates aptitude and that, you know, if you come into it with passion and with a good attitude and with a desire to learn that you can learn and learn by doing like yeah. uh, they taught you at Cal Poly. Exactly. And I, I mean, it's just, I think one of the things that everybody really admires about you is that fact that you have married your passion with your profession since day one. And I guess we should rewind a little bit now uh, after that last question and go back to when you said you were going to move into the big city in San Francisco. And this is sort of your first real foot in the door in the industry. Uh, so maybe pick up the story there when you started working for the North Face. Yeah, well, just I, I did I did about a year of work before the North Face. I worked for a small boutique mm -hmm. sports marketing company. Um, and we set up... Um, basically endorsements between professional baseball, football, basketball players, and brands. And so at the time we were working with Mark McGuire, we were working with Roger Craig and Ronnie Lott. And um, you know, one of the partners in the business was a brother-in-law of, of uh, the quarterback, the New York Jets. And so it was like classic, um, you know, major league sports, mm -hmm. uh, but a boutique um, sports marketing firm. We were also at the time doing a study for the mayor of San Francisco to bring the Olympics to San Francisco. So we were doing a whole feasibility oh, study. It was, it was an amazing, and it was amazing, like amazing experience. At the time or something? <laughs> What's that? Were you like 19 or 20 at the yeah, time? Yeah, no, I was just out of school. So I was yeah. like 21, yeah. but completely fired right. up and working at the mayor's office or, or working with his commission. And, um, and it was great experience. Uh, we, we delivered a, a, a great report with a recommendation, of course, to bring the Olympic games to San Francisco, San Francisco being San Francisco is like, <laughs> we don't need we don't any need of these that. sporting events. We're like, we're unique and we're great without it all. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so, but I also recognized in that experience, like I was in a small firm, and, um, and I also recognize like, as much as I love sport, the, the, the team sport stuff, the major league sport, I found, um, I found super inspiring, but I also found the athletes were, were different. Like I found more meaning. I felt like the, the love of, and the true passion of the sport was deeper in what I would call alternative sports at the time. And still true. I think. Yeah, I, th I think it is too. That's for another pod. I could <laughs> yeah. do a whole pod with you yes, just on, yes. on, and it would be, that'd be interesting yeah. one because you're such a student of sport and yeah. of sports and I am too. And it was, I've got some, f some stories for you. Um, but I, so I looked at, at that period in my life and just said, Hey, I looked at brands in the Bay area. It was very targeted. Mm -hmm. And I just started looking at brands in the North face was top of my list. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is, this marries everything. I'm, you know, it's a ski brand. It's a climbing brand at the time, backpacking, it's an outdoor brand. And, and, um, and so I started, uh, send, you know, just arcing, arcing resume. resumes yeah. in, you know, no contacts, nothing, <laughs> just arcing them in there every way I could get. And I was really making very little traction. Yeah. You know, I wanted to get in, in sports marketing. Of course, those are some of the most coveted jobs in, in, uh, the outdoor industry still at the time, to this day, still probably. to this day. Yeah. And, um, 
And, but I was relentless. I mean, I would, I just kept Probably calling. Probably because you were and, the youngest of 10, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so finally I got a hold of someone in the corporate office, which was in Berkeley at the time. <laughs> and I said, and, and their recommendation was, hey, you know, um, for what it's worth, your best move would actually be to work in our retail store because, mm -hmm. you know, we always value people that really understand um, uh, the retail experience. And there's, that would just be a good way for you to build some relationships. And so I made the decision to um, leave the sports marketing uh, business and, um, and go for it with North Face. Uh, well, I was still putting my feelers out with a whole host of other companies. And I started day one uh, was as a temp so, but before you go for it, that seems like a kind of a little bit of a step back with the long-term vision of this is what I ultimately want to do. This is the industry I want to be a part of. Did it feel that way at the time? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it felt a little I, 100%, risky. hundred yeah. percent. Like I was, I was, yeah, I was working with this boutique company, you know, I, it's, it, you could say arguably working with much bigger and higher profile mm -hmm. athletes directly with them. Um, but I was talking with a couple of other um, similar agencies about being on the brand side or on the agency side. Mm. And some of the advice I'd had was, Hey, if you can get on the brand side, you're just, you've got a better opportunity mm. to uh, sort of accelerate your career. And so I did take a risky move for and two parts. One, I thought being on a brand side versus an outside agency side would, would be good for me. And two, I thought, um, I really thought that, uh, you know, being with a, a brand that I'm really passionate about could be the best way forward for me. Yeah. And so that's what led me to the North Face. Yeah. So ultimately you came into the retail shop, spent some years there paying your dues, then moved into the sort of corporate side of things, right? Yeah, it went, it went quick. It actually was a little, little different. It, so I literally came in as a temp working inventory in the basement of the Post Street store <laughs> in San Francisco, counting thousands of Fastex buckles wow. and packs and shoes. And I worked, so it was really serendipitous because that store was going through um, a remodel and all of the corporate folks would roll through that door mm. seven days a week, working on the remodel. From the CEO through all of the top executives. So you had an opportunity to so have I had some face time. opportunity to build, build relationships, um, and I never pass on an opportunity to build relationships um, with some great people inside the company. Mm. Um, and within six months, I had landed uh, my first job at the North Face Corporate. So I didn't spend very much time, uh, uh, honestly, in, in retail, directly in retail, um, and was able to bridge in into sort of my dream job. I was offered two jobs, actually, uh, one in sales and one in sports marketing. And I chose the sports marketing job initially because I knew that's the job I could make the greatest impact day one. Mm -hmm. I knew day one, I could make an enormous impact. And it was also, North Face at the time was still very small. It was only about an $80 million business. Today, really? it's a $4 billion business. Mm -hmm. And the, the wow. sports marketing was very connected all the way even to our CEO. And so it would give me a great opportunity to work directly with the CEO and also build out um, that team. And so that's that's what I went into. And, and, um, and I took all of my experience throughout sort of my high school years being a professional 
uh, windsurfer and then all of my experience at Cal Poly and I just applied it with absolute speed and, and veracity in yeah. with, uh, with the North Face brand. It's so cool that you always had this kind of like long-term commitment to being in the industry from such a young age and that you started from the inventory room <laughs> at a North Face retail store. I mean, it is like a story of hope for people who do want to make it in the industry, right? Because you had a good education, but you more than anything, you just had the passion and the hustle to see through what you wanted to do. And I love also, you know, never pass up an opportunity to cultivate good relationships. Yeah. Everybody who knows you knows that that's a big part of who you are. Um, so kind of fast forwarding so we don't spend yeah. crazy amounts of time on this. You ultimately get a, what seems to be a huge gig within the North Face to run the European operation or to set it up, I think. Yeah. Even, right. Yeah. I mean, and you're only what, 29 or 30? Yeah, I was 29. I mean, I'd, I'd spent seven years uh, in North America from that early first, call it sports marketing job. I ultimately was a sales, uh, ran a sales agency, the Western United States for three, four years, came back in. Uh, and ran some of our national accounts business, ran uh, our marketing team. And so just successive uh, jobs through the North Face in product and marketing and in sales. And the company was going through absolute turmoil yeah. in the 90s. We grew rapidly, we took the company public, and we nearly bankrupt the company, yeah. all within a seven-year span. It was one of the greatest. What a learning experience. Learning, huh? Exactly. One of the Just greatest learning experiences. And that would be another lesson I'd say to anyone out there. Like, hey, if you're in a company and it's, and it's chaotic. I mean, I think we went through seven CEOs in seven years. And you think to yourself, man, what am I doing here? You know, and don't get caught up in the water cooler talk of, you know, talking yourself out of your job, stay focused on what you're doing, add value. And no matter who owns it or who's running the business, they'll see the value that you're creating. And that's, that's basically was my first seven years running through the North Face. What a beautiful and, metaphor to what we love doing too, isn't it? You know, yeah, with ultra running, it's like... It's easy to tell yourself the story of like why you should get out, why you should leave, why exactly. there's better stuff to devote your time and energy to. But if you if you keep Just at it, stick and with it, and you will get don't to don't entertain that. those water cool no. conversations in your brain. And <laughs> exactly, find a way to contribute. Find a way to get through. Wow, that's beautiful. So, man. so the company had, it, it then in 2000 had been just recently purchased by VF Corporation. You were going through a lot of changes and I had the opportunity then after the VF acquisition to um, move to Europe and uh, lead the North Face Europe business based out of Italy. Um, so when you're 29 years old, does that feel like very exciting or did you feel... I don't know. It feels like a really huge responsibility. I mean, obviously you had a good career up to that point. You had the passion, but you probably end up having to set up a team where you're one of the younger people in the organization. So it's a funny story. So, so, you know, I was fired up. I mean, Kim and I had just been married about nine months earlier um, and it was a European uh, guy, Carl Heinz Salzberger, who um, was the CEO of North Face. And he was an Italian. He was moving back to Europe to head up the, the entire outdoor group of brands at the time. And he, um, he offered me the job while he was still in San Francisco. 
And, um, and I remember he asked me, and this was like, think of 2000.com 1.0 bubble raging, right? Yeah. You know, you had 24 year old CEOs driving around Ferraris and, and, you know, uh, everything, you know, just crazy young people making a lot of money and with big jobs. And, um, I remember he said to me, he's like, how old are you? And at the time I said, you know, I was still 29, but I said, well, I'm 30. Cause I knew I'd be 30 when I got there. So I'm you like, oh, a lot I'm, more I'm 30. Cause he was a little 30. concerned himself. He's like, Hey, you're a little young. Europe's a little more traditional, you know? And I said, Hey, and I basically sort of said the same thing to him. Like, Hey, don't worry about my age. I'm going to, I'm going to bring so much knowledge of the brand and, and the business to Europe, what I'll need to learn from you is Europe. And so we had an amazing relationship. He was wow. an incredible mentor, incredible coach. You know, I taught him sort of American business culture because he was now a part of a big mm-hmm. uh, American uh, group, VF Corporation, and he taught me everything about European business. And I knew the brand and I knew the culture. And so, you know, I went to Europe in 2000. Um, North Face was still relatively small in Europe. And um, we grew it from from 2000 to 2008 into the fastest growing, most profitable uh, business for VF globally. Wow. Um, in in just eight short years and it was it was amazing i mean it was a period of time in in my both professional career in my personal life that i would say was it was was an incredible high point i don't want to say it was the high point because i think life is is goes in 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 waves or oscillations sort of like highs and lows um but it was definitely a high high period in my life and um you know i was given tremendous amount of empowered leadership and um, and the ability and freedom to lead that brand in its entirety in, in Europe. And that expanded to Europe and Asia. And then it expanded to include additional brands that we acquired with VF, including the Vans brand, the Jansport brand. And, and my, my life sort of went from focusing just on a single brand uh, with the North Face to opening up to uh, working on multiple brands and taking that same theory of how the business operates Mm -hmm. to a variety of of different um, scenarios. And I always had curiosity for these other businesses, even if some of them weren't, I wasn't as like deeply passionate about, I was always passionate about uh, learning about the consumer and working with the teams. So that's cool. And you were also still competing as an athlete at a high level at this time. And for those who don't know you super well personally, you're not somebody who brags about this a lot, but everybody else does who knows you and that you're the highest placing American male in UTMB history. And in 2003, in the inaugural UTMB, you finished second place while you're running the European operation of the North Face, a very big involved job. So you, again, just have the marriage between passion and career, and you're so authentically living the values of what you're espousing professionally too. I mean, that had to be part of, you know, this high point in your life as well. It was amazing. I mean, you know, I was, you know, the running, uh, the running was always a constant for me. So no matter where I would go, I was always running and, um, and, and the big goals of, um, 
Western States was was a was a big part of my life, you know, basically since the late '90s all the way uh, to today, and um, and I was recognizing like I wanted to find when I was in Europe, I wanted to find a hundred mile race, and really they didn't exist in Europe. They were really hard right. to find a hundred mile trail running race. Really, the uh, sort of the apex of of running in in Europe at the time in the early two thousands was like, and it was. Uh, you know, hundred Ks, mm-hmm. and um, and so two thousand three, uh, you know, UTMB was in its first year, and um, we had a great team in in France that um, jumped on the opportunity to uh, connect the North Face with the UTMB, yeah. and. You know, so that must have been part of your portfolio. Like, yes, you identified this thing could be a yeah, juggernaut. We, yeah, right? we we knew. I knew it could be huge, and 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 talked to the the our team in France at the time. They would help us manage that relationship, and they actually connected me with the Palettis and Vincent Delabar, who yeah. were were some of the early early uh, creators. Uh, of course, uh, Katrina Michelle, the, the creators of UTMB. And and I entered the race and I met the Palettis. Kim and I did a three-day training tour de Mont Blanc. So I always, every year, ran the race course for three days. Um, was taking a very disciplined approach. Yeah. And I met them on day two of my training what tour in Chamonix for the first time. And we, uh, I, I think we consummated the partnership <laughs> closed with the, the North Face on the tour. Yeah. So, Perfect. you know, I think, I think at the time, like just being, being real is made, made the connections I think in Europe so powerful. And I think, you know, some of my still, some of my closest relationships, both personally and, and professionally. I mean, you, you've experienced many of the personal ones we've got yeah. with people like, uh, the Bouton d'Or, yeah. uh, Patrizia there yeah. and Giacomo on the race course at, yeah. uh, Vier. And so like, these are relationships that were born in those, those working years. And, um, and I just always tried to bring and think about, you know, bringing the brands I was working on and the people that we could, um, we could inspire through the partnerships that we created with things like UTMB. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. And I was blessed to be able to run 11 UTMBs, one TDS, um, and, and be a top 10 finisher three times. And you know, you know what that feels like. It's, it's special. And it was another era, but yes, I still get to, to claim that, uh, that second place, uh, finish there and, um, waiting for, for a a male, uh, us runner to to send that top, uh, position. Uh, Yes. Someday, someday, but the, the prize is yours for now. And, yeah, just the photographs that I've seen from that original UTMB with you exploding off the start line, giving the primal yell of <laughs> enthusiasm for the sport and for the practice and just for the love of being out in the mountains. It's like a perfect encapsulation of, you know, what has the common thread that still runs through the sport to this day. And, to, you know, to know that you had a, a pivotal role or at least identified that UTMB had this potential at such a early stage and to see where it is now, you yeah. must look back with just total awe and disbelief. I, it, huh? it really is cool. And, and, you know, 
it was a really great partnership because you know the Palettis. A lot of people don't know this. They they just they own a music store yeah. in Chamonix um, before becoming the race directors for UTMB. And you know they started that first year not really knowing what would happen, what would become of it. And um, and I saw the potential immediately. Uh-huh. And so we had a really amazing partnership because we used our brand, the North Face brand, to really accelerate and 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 enhance the platform of UTMB in really in a way to inspire people around the world. I mean, there's you can say anything you want about UTMB. You cannot recreate that race course in that feeling of culture anywhere else in the world. No. To start in Chamonix, France, run through into Italy, run to Switzerland, back to France, nine different villages. I mean, it truly is a Tour de France of ultra running. It's like nothing else in the world. And it's awesome to have that on one end of the spectrum and then to have like a Western States yeah. or a hard rock on the other end of the spectrum. I, th- I think that's the beauty that's of ultra running. Like, yeah. like you have all these different options yeah. that you can go experience. And, and even now that UTMB has grown into the largest ultra uh, sort of race uh, week in the world, um, I, I think it still holds a really special experience for every runner yeah. that um, is able to, to toe the line yeah. and, 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 of course, finish. And, and we got a lot of our company deeply involved in, in the races. So yeah. every year, we would uh, allow any employee they wanted to run. You know, at the time it was easy. Like yeah. there were there were spots, <laughs> right? It's lottery. a different it's a different era now. But yeah. there were spots, and you know, we would every year in the fall have a sales meeting and honor those employees first. The employees that simply had the courage to tow the start line, because you know, having a, a, a full time job and actually showing up with a commitment and the courage to take on the course um, deserved recognition. And so we'd always recognize that. And then we'd recognize the finishers and we, we, we gave every finisher in the company, you know, one of those classic cowbells and we brought them on the stage of our sales meetings. And, and we really created the culture inside the company connecting our our brand and the team inside the brand back to the sports that we were building products. It's so for. important, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in your history within the industry, it's probably clear in the performance of the brand when you do have the individuals within the company who do have the DNA. Exactly. From the and, and it was yeah. we were thriving because of it. Like, mm. you know, we were the we we're the most authentic group of, of wow. people in business. And on um, and and on the the passion side. Yeah. What a great lesson again! And, and this is actually a good segue too, because then, if I'm not mistaken, the next gig or the next progression in your career sort of brought you into a category that you weren't necessarily super passionate about. So maybe talk a little bit about that, about maybe what you learned from that experience that ultimately led you back to be more in line with the, yeah. uh, the things yeah, so, you are passionate so about. So we had we'd we'd worked. You know, in the 2000s, VF was was really transforming from being a, a a really slow growth denim business, which was profitable, but 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 just slow growth mass market brand to to really building brands with with uh, you know inspiring aspirational lifestyle health and wellness brands 
North Face, Vans, Reef, Jansport, all these, all these terrific outdoor brands. And we acquired more as we went. And I was taking on the leadership of a lot of those outdoor and action sports brands. And I had um, the opportunity to move into a totally different part of VF's um, business, which was called their Contemporary Brands Coalition. And, um, and I, you know, I had learned through my time in Europe, I really was passionate about um, working on these different brands and businesses. And so this was uh, a step even beyond that because it was really um, working on, uh, I was leading as the president of the Seven for All Mankind brand. If you don't know it, it's a premium uh, denim and contemporary fashion brand. Um, and they really uh, were the iconic brand that, that built the, the premium denim craze in the, in the 2000s. And VF, had, at the time, it was VF's largest acquisition. They asked me to come on and lead the company um, and help integrate the company onto VF's platform. And um, I had great trust, trust and, and, and respect with everyone at VF and knew it would be a, a safe way for me to go try this. Mm -hmm. Um, and also a good opportunity for me to see how connected am I, do I need to be to the, to the, the passion or the mission or the purpose of the brand and how, or, and, and, or, um, can I unconnect from that yeah. and still be passionate about the business? Mm. And so it was sort of an, an opportunity for me to explore that, um, and I went and explored it. Um, I, I certainly had a great time learning about premium denim. I mean, it was fascinating. Um, it is, it, it's a fascinating business, very creative. We built all of our denim in, in, in right there, all the jeans in LA um, with Japanese and Italian denim. And, and it was fantastic. And by the way, anyone that buys those jeans, I will tell you they're worth every penny because they are literally handcrafted. Mm -hmm. All that being said, I went from sitting in meetings about backpacks that would take you to the top of Everest to sitting in meetings talking about handbags and satchels and you and guys clutches. moved back to and we moved back California. we moved back yeah we moved to Santa Monica so we live in Santa Monica but I was I was commuting into the bowels of LA like the the the, the train switching station after moving from uh, yeah after moving from like the vineyards the of house. Italy so you know most people would say hey coming back to California must have been a soft landing it felt like a hard landing really? for us yeah, yeah and, and it probably it was just too much of a disconnect you know moving countries um, moving industries and then really totally disconnecting from the outdoor industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we went to work. I mean, we did an incredible job of, of building a, a whole retail and e-commerce business with, with seven. I'm really proud of the work that we did with the teams there at the time, but I had this deep pulling, you know, I just, this tug yeah. back to the outdoor industry and, and I just knew life is short and, and, you know, if there's again, a lesson I could instill on people is know what you know and know what you don't know, but know what you love and, 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 and know what you don't love and, and don't do things that aren't bringing you happiness. Just yeah. stop doing them. Life is too short. And I had a great opportunity, Tim Boyle from, from the Columbia brand, uh, called and, and they own the mountain hardware and Montreal brands and they needed a new leader there. And, um, 
and geographically, it was a bullseye. It was like, you can go live in Marin, work in one of the most incredible buildings in the Bay Area, in the Western US, in an old Ford factory in, in Richmond, and with solar panels, and we were all you know, totally 100% um, uh, off, off the sun with all of our power needs, an incredible environment with a brand that I had, I had seen uh, and grown up with in the, in the 90s, Mount Hardware brand, and lead that brand. And so I took the opportunity to, to go and, and lead the Mountain Hardware brand and Montreal brands uh, inside the Columbia Group and work with that team and that leadership team. Um, and we really, at the time that I was at Hardware, really looked at even doubling down on its technical and premium positioning. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, connect our athletes in the design and development process yeah. um, in the product creation, which was awesome. So, Yeah, it's so cool, too, to see how you've had the spirit of ultra running kind of carry with you across these brands too, because when you were at Mountain Hardware, that was sort of like the heyday of the Montreal Mountain Hardware ultra team that I know you had a yeah. big hand in putting together with Jeff Rose and Dakota Jones and Ellie Greenwood and Max others, King. Max yeah. King. Yeah. And small, but mighty team, right. with amazing transformative results mm -hmm. at the time they were, they were on the team. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And all sort of like iconic people in the history of the sport and people that also carried the, the spirit and the ethos who people universally respect and admire as well. And then ultimately you end up at Under Armour too, and sort of build that into the outdoor category at a larger uh, sort of activewear, sportswear company that hadn't been as authentic within outdoor as well. And Topher comes in and sort of brings that that spirit of the trail that, um, yeah, just like the life-changing feeling and, you know, the hopefully the bottom line enhancing, um, yeah, I don't know, qualities of just these amazing sports that, that change our lives. And uh, I think it's just important to acknowledge that across all these different places where you've worked, you've always done your part to sort of like lift the sport with you, which has been great. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I've always, I've always looked at like, how can the brands be a catalyst to help lift the sport? How do we make the sports that we're in better and then how do we make the people inside the sports better? Mm -hmm. And then how do we actually make the people inside our company better? Yeah. But you know, it starts with how do you make the sport better? Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, it, 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 at Under Armour, you know, we we had you know we had a, a mission within our run business, you know, that we wanted to make all runners better. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, like it, or and we we wanted to, not only want to make runners better, we wanted to make running better, mm -hmm. the sport of running better. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that that has always been like a a central sort of guiding principle or or purpose in the brands that I've worked with, and and that's where I always am able to unlock my sort of my maximum potential myself in those around me, because, um, you know, I think that really helps, uh, accelerate what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So you've worked across all different kind of divisions within these brands as well, sports marketing sales, you worked in the inventory room, you know, you've worked in leadership, you've worked in product. What do you think about that kind of versatility? And maybe is there anything from your experience that you would 
point two to advise people who want to do something similar or follow in your footsteps? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, there's two things that really helped me accelerate rapidly in my career. One, um, at a young age, I was on a I was on a fast growing brand. So I would say, and in, in, you know, people can't always people can't always like know that this is going to happen. But here's the deal: when you work in a fast growing brand, opportunities come to you. Um, they, they simply come to you because the, essentially the organization is resource constrained. And so anyone that has either ambition or hustle or commitment to the brand uh, purpose or the, or the, the organization purpose have opportunities mm-hmm. coming at them. And that was North Face in, in, in the early years I was there. It was growing 20 to 30% a year for, for eight years in North America. And then we did the same thing with all these collection of brands in, in Europe, in Asia. And so opportunities were coming at me, but not only me, all the people that were on our team. So it was, so that would be, that would be one piece I would say, you know, to the extent that you can, if you're in a job and you're in a great job, but you're in a slow growing or a brand that's going or a business that's going backwards, that could stunt your career. And that could be, that could be difficult in mm. particular when you're young in your, in your working career. It's fine if you're older in your career, sometimes working on a fixer upper, uh, mm. you know, or a turnaround business, that's also a really important experience. But young in your career, I think being on a fast growth business, um, especially for someone who's got either ambition or just you know, really disciplined approach to their work, it's a great way to accelerate. accelerate so, but did you intentionally career. try to get a taste of all these different parts of the business? You know, from sports I marketing. Did. To I did. I did. So, like, this would be the other thing I'd say. Um, so, you know, again, at North Face, in the first seven years of North Face, I had experience in marketing, in sales, in product creation, in licensing, in strategy, um, and in leadership. And and so, you know, for me it was really important not to pigeonhole myself mm-hmm. into one uh, part of, or, or one expertise. It was one of the hardest things I also recognized coming out, you know, in college, you, you got six courses a semester or a yeah. quarter. And so you're just learning about all sorts of things every quarter. And then all of a sudden you finish school, it's like, okay, now you're gonna do this one thing for the rest of your life. And that wasn't gonna be me. Yeah. So I was all about mastering each piece but then I wanted to move on. And that's sort of why I did the, the, the seven thing too. Cause I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to see if I can master something that I'm not totally fired up. Wow. about. Um, I'm reading this book right now called the lean startup. It's sort of like a, you know, cult, uh, favorite book for mostly like tech startups and stuff. But one of the main themes in it is about like carrying an entrepreneurial spirit, even if you're in a big organization, and it sort of feels like this is, kind of a representation of that, of like always thinking in in new and creative ways, thinking about ways that you can make asymmetric impacts on the brand and just not settling into, oh, I work for this big, huge company and I need to, you know, maybe just assimilate into the brand culture, but always thinking with that entrepreneurial spirit and how you can learn more and how you can have a, a different impact instead of just clocking in and clocking out. Yeah, and I think I think that mentality 
that that entrepreneurial mentality, especially as you get into a bigger organization, is even more critical. I mean, yeah. you know, Under Armour is probably the largest single, you know, brand I I, I worked in, and that that brand is an amazing brand, amazing brand story. Um, and, and I had an incredible time with that leadership team and with all the teammates, um, at, at Under Armour. And, um, but in these big organizations, they tend to, um, you know, to get work done because they're big, you really need specialists. Um, and, and I was in a role that actually bridged all of these different functions together. Um, and, and that was very well suited to me. So yeah. I was, I was in a, a very large, uh, what I would I mean, describe it's almost as like the natural sort of progression or the national natural conclusion of everything that you had done up to that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It took all of that body of experience and we brought it into what we called a, a, a a category management structure. So each sport would have uh, basically all of the the marketing, the product, the sales, the innovation, the the engineering, and it would be bringing all of those teams together to drive the consumer experience mm. by sport. And, and that really required knowing how each one of those functions operate, but also knowing how to get all those teams to work together. And I, I would say probably the single most important, if you know, if, if you're young and you're working in a big organization, take on projects outside your, you know, your scope of what you're doing. Take on projects in a totally different parts of the business. And and don't get caught up in water cooler talk. Mm -hmm. You know, like always look at how you can add value and and be a collaborator. You know, it's so easy to just, you know, sit in a big organization and just sort of uh, go in, do your work and leave. And um, and you can earn a nice living, but but it may not be fulfilling for you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about leadership, because I think this is something that is synonymous with Topher Gaylord. And I think everybody who knows you, one of the first words that we would use to describe you is you're a leader. Do you think that is something that sort of like has come naturally to you or do you have mentors in your history that have helped you become a good leader? I definitely think leadership is learned. I don't, I don't think you're just born with leadership capabilities or, or skills. I think, but I, and so I look back in my history and I say, what's, what's been important to form my leadership? Part of it has been growing up in a family of 10, like you've got you've to you've create your own voice for yourself if you want to be heard in a family of 10. And we're loud when we get together. <laughs> so man, you better, have, you better have a voice, you better have something to say. But, but more than growing up in family of 10, I really think what's, what's transformed for me, leadership is great mentors, great coaches along the way, and businesses, organizations, brands that are committed to helping build their leaders. I had a lot of leadership development mm. um, and um, in a combination of like formal development and, and a tremendous amount of informal uh, development. And I always responded really well to leaders who who provided their unwavering trust in me and also pushed me, but, but it simultaneously sort of 
uh, got out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's, that's really hard to find those leaders. And, 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 and I think, I think having leaders that, um, that aren't micromanaging you, uh, as a means to really allowing you to, to unlock your own potential is, is critical. And I've just really been, I've been, I've been really lucky at the right times in my, in my life. You know, I would, I would say all of the leaders that have been transformative for me, I'm still in touch with. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, I go back 30 years. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, the very first day at North Face, that CEO and I are still great friends. Really? Uh, yeah. And, and we talk often. And, and I think, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's really important that you have people in your life that you can use as a sounding board. And every major leadership or, or career decision I made, I'd go out and I'd seek out um, people who've been there before yeah. that have like gone through this decision point um, as a sounding board. And, and I think part of that's like being comfortable, like not having all the answers. Yeah. And, um, and I think the biggest leadership shift I made in my career was when I took on big responsibility, big leadership jobs early, I still felt like I had to prove myself. And so it wasn't like I'm the boss now I can. Yeah. And I just, I know, well, I just felt like I had to prove myself. I had to, I just had to drive the team. Um, and sometimes I would either drive too hard or too aggressively. And, um, and I think that, uh, and I wouldn't let people thrive all the time. Mm. And I think as I developed, you know, later in my career, I really, I think, found a, an approach that sort of used the same approach that worked for me, which was empower those people, give them complete support, but empower them and let them. You, you, you get really ambitious or motivated people, and there are a lot of young, super motivated people, and you give them an empowered job um, and get out of their way, they're going to absolutely thrive. Wow. And so I think probably that the time I had at, at Under Armour was probably the time I, I, I sort of molded that, that style of leadership. And I've never been more inspired by the people that I worked with and worked alongside with and ultimately now are in, in great uh, leadership jobs there and, and ki- killing it at the brand. Yeah. And it just makes me really happy. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of folks that worked with me and for me. They're now CEOs of other companies. And that brings me, you know, immense joy. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, it's cool. I, I remember running with you, not, I think it was probably last summer when you said something to this effect about how your focus now, and this is when you were still with Under Armour, was very much about cultivating the people who were behind you and that your, I guess, priority has kind of shifted from trying to drive your own career and make these brands super successful to also trying to lift up the next generation of leaders that was coming behind you. And you actually said something a couple of weeks ago when I saw you for Fernando's wedding that stuck with me as well. And that was to sort of think of your career arc at all times, you know, as you're progressing through your life professionally and know where you kind of want to go and think of your whole career in context. Do you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a really, it's, 
It, it's a it's great. I remember the conversation. It's a conversation I have with with a lot of folks because I believe it's really important um, for you. I, I go back to the find meaning in the mundane. Part of the other the other concept is always understand what your what each one of your roles that you had in your career, what purpose that served in your career. Like, what's the story that 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 told for you? What was your learning experience from that? Mm. And, and I think you've got to think about your, your entire career arc of where, you, where you've been, where you are today, and where you want to go, um, and, and be able to tell that story to yourself. It's as important to be able to tell it to yourself as you do to others, mm-hmm. whether they're business partners, whether they're friends, whether they're colleagues, whether they're recruiters, uh, or whether they're the the, the management uh, that you're uh, reporting to if you're in a company, or the or the board, or the the investors that you have um, in your business. I mean, you've got to be able to to tell your career arc because you know people are investing in you. And you having an understanding of where you stand in your life and the lessons you've learned in your life and where that's taking you says a lot about you. And, and so I think always thinking about that, you know, I had a, a, a gal worked for me in strategy and she, one of, one of the, the parting conversations we had, she said, what, what can you tell me? I said, you know, you need to go think about the last five years you had in your role and you need to think about what, what, what did you accomplish and what story does that tell mm-hmm. about how you either added value or how you grew personally or professionally. And I think it's, it's the same thing with, with, with running. I mean, you should learn from every single one of your, especially 100-mile races I always refer to because I think those are always, those are always uncertain outcomes, yeah. no matter how ready you are for them. And so it's always really important both when you have an absolute thriving, unbelievable performance or whether you have a catastrophic failure to do an autopsy and be able to, to, to understand what, what, what you learn from that and be able to articulate and tell that story again to yourself as, as a, as a growing opportunity, but also to others, um, as a teaching opportunity, you know, really? so I think it's cool. So Let's talk about your arc before we start winding down here, okay. because it, it, you're at sort of a transition moment in your career too. I feel like I am as yeah. well. And you've <laughs> always been us. a great sounding board for me. So going back to what you said earlier, it's it's always so appreciated. And it seems to me like, you know, using the sports metaphors, you're sort of, yeah, transitioning, at least for the time being, from being kind of a player to a coach, right? And so talk a bit about, since you left Under Armour a few months ago, wrapped up that tour of duty that was, I know, really stimulating and successful to what you're doing now and uh, what you see in the future for your arc. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's really cool. And I think my professional arc in a lot of ways mirrors my, my personal sporting arc too. Mm. Um, You know, I think, you know, I, I, like you said, I, I wrapped up a f- five-year, what I would call tour duty with, with Under Armour. It was fantastic. Um, we've reestablished ourselves in, in Marin in California permanently. Mm-hmm. And I'm moving from what I would call an operating leadership uh, sort of series of jobs, in, in which I've really ha- held um, in the last 
two decades leading these different businesses into um, what I would consider an advisor, a coach. And so I'm now joined uh, several uh, different boards. I'm on two private equity boards um, with incredible businesses. Uh, one is a, a climbing gym uh, business uh, across uh, North America, the largest climbing gym uh, business called El Cap. Uh, and um, and we have a series of gyms, uh, Planet Granite, Earth Treks, and Movement Gyms. Uh, Alex Honnold's on our board as well. So it's <laughs> it's fun to hear his climbing stories and his insights yeah. um, and work with the leadership team there. So I have the opportunity to work with the CEO and that senior leadership team and, and bring my experience to that team and learn about uh, the gym business and help um, those leaders uh, unlock the potential of, of that business. I'm joining a, another um, group of, of water sports brands um, and that I'll be able to share soon. And um, and I am advising uh, a series of uh, early stage CEOs and um, entrepreneurs and, and startups. And I love that too. You know, we've got uh, a climbing app company called uh, Kaya Climb, which is sort of becoming the Strava of of climbing. Such a cool concept. And um, the CEO is an IDO, um, past IDO exec. And I mean, just incredible genius tech uh, meets climbers. And um, I've been connecting them with 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 industry partners, and so um, you know I find it really fulfilling to to help. One, it's time for me to step out of that operating leadership job. I I, I don't want to ever say never. I might be yeah. back if there was the right kind of operating leadership job. I might go into it, but mm -hmm. um, it's time for the next generation sure. to to occupy those leadership roles and and pursue their careers. And and for me. It's a, it's just an awesome time. It gives me more flexibility in my life, but still keeps me totally engaged in the industry. The board work I'm doing at Western States is incredibly fulfilling way to give back to the ultra running community, to stay engaged in um, the business side. I, I chair um, a couple of the different um, committees. One is our sponsorship committee, which gives me the opportunity to continue to to cultivate those relationships with our vast um, uh, group of sponsors, and then the live uh, the live webcast that you and I are working on. <laughs> we have a call here I'm, in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I'm totally fired up on um, because we're able to. You know, we talk about making this sport better. Yeah. You and I talk about it a lot, yeah. and I think what a cool way, you know, for us to make the sport better um, through bringing it live to people around the world. And, and I think this year, this is our first year um, at Western States doing that, but I think it's gonna be incredible. We have an amazing group of talented people working on it this year. And um, I think it's, it's gonna be great. And so that, for me in my career arc, that sort of transition to helping others um, unlock their potential, whether they're CEOs, whether they're entrepreneurs, um, whether they're um, past colleagues that are looking to make that next step mm -hmm. in their career. Um, I spend a lot of my days talking to past colleagues that are um, doing the same thing I was doing when I was in their spot, which was calling uh, people that have been there mm -hmm. and helping them maximize um, their their potential in their career, you know? And it's, for me, that's, it's just super fulfilling. Great. 
Well, Toph, you just I was going to close by talking about Western states, but we just kind of teased it, and I'll, I'll talk more about it in the intro and outro to this episode. But thank you so much, man. It's so fun to chat with you, and I'm so grateful for our friendship, and you've been such a great mentor for me, and you've just been such a great advocate for our sport, too. And like throughout your career, you've cared about the direction that we're heading. And I know, you know, the sport it wouldn't be where it is without the influence of people like you and your leadership at these different brands. And, uh, we have, we have nothing but gratitude for your, uh, your impact. I appreciate all those words. And I, you know, I consider myself a sort of a, a generational, uh, uh, contributor or participant, uh, leader in, in, in the industry. And what, what do I mean by that? I'm sort of a, I'm bridging generations. You know, I was in the early years of, of the ultra running community and, you know, nothing brings me more joy than sort of seeing you help bring the next generation of ultra runners and, and, and really the next, you know, I look at what you're doing for the community as another phase, another era for the sport and an accelerant of the sport. And um, I'm inspired by what you're doing. And uh, I love the friendship and, uh, and let's keep this sport charging, man. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much, Toph. It's uh, cool. it's an honor. It's a pleasure. And now we have to get on our Zoom call with the Western States Board. <laughs> right on. Debo. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Thank you so much to Topher for being an awesome guest and for sharing so many pearls of wisdom from his career. I hope you all are sufficiently inspired to tackle your own professional ambitions. And as promised at the beginning of the show, I just wanted to end by saying a few words about the Western States 100 live stream, which is coming up in less than two weeks. And first of all, again, I am just so humbled and stoked to have the honor of anchoring the live stream all day with my friend and fellow ultra super fan, Corinne Malcolm. We will be delivering as much useful commentary and information as we can fit into 30 hours of live stream. We hope to be equally valuable to the ultra expert, as well as those who are being introduced to our amazing sport for the first time. We are obviously committed to providing expert analysis on the pro fields, but also uh, we are committed to highlighting the stories of the heroes in the middle and the back of the pack. And quite simply, I can't freaking wait. And before we sign off, I just wanted to break a little bit of news. That is in addition to the live stream, we will also be hosting a live interview show from the start line in Olympic Village on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of race week. It is my attempt to create the college game day atmosphere around the most important race in North America and help highlight the stories of the great athletes in the race along with people from the race organization and just help to build the hype in the days leading up to the big dance. I am so, so excited about this. We will be broadcasting outdoors safely in front of a live audience and also streaming to the Western States 100 YouTube page so people can enjoy these conversations both in person and digitally. So if you are there at Western States, 
in Olympic Valley. Uh, we would love it if you would come out. We will share a lot more information just about timing and schedules and the lineup of the guests uh, as we get a little bit closer. Uh, and if you can't watch it live, there's no worries. These videos will also be available to watch after the fact. And we'll also be taking the audio from the interviews and dropping them right here in this podcast feed for you all to enjoy the audio experience as well, if that's your preference. Again, I am so pumped. Go subscribe to the Western States 100 YouTube channel. Link to that in the show notes, so don't miss the action. But that's it for now. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. I love you all so much. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.